We're turning now to God's Word, and, and this week we are uh, beginning a four-week uh, sermon series on the, the topic of community. And uh, before we turn uh, to this passage from uh, the book of Acts, uh, let me just make a brief announcement about that. We are um, uh, excited that over this summer we're going to have a number of ways for people to get connected to um, our community uh, later in this service, Angie Kelly is going to come up and talk to us about a, a work day that's uh, coming up next week. Great way to meet people uh, in our church is come work on the, the church property. Um, but also we're going to have a calendar of, of multiple social events throughout the summer. We're going to have men's and women's events. And then, and then at the end of the summer in August, August 19th to 22nd, we're going to have an all-church uh, uh, camp out for the, the weekend. We're going to go with Legacy Church out to a campground near uh, Sumas Mountain. It'll be a great time for us uh, to be together. And so we're hoping that, uh, especially if you're new to Christ Church and you're wanting to meet new people, this would be a, a great way to do that. But in addition to these uh, summer events, another way we want to focus on community is through uh, hospitality also here on Sunday mornings. And we want our church here to feel uh, like a home, like you're being welcomed by a host as you come here. And all the details of, of you know, people welcoming you and showing you how to, where to get a cup of coffee and helping you find a seat and connecting you to people. And uh, we want every detail of Sunday morning to feel like you are welcome in God's house. And so we are needing more people to help host on Sunday morning. And, um, and so our goal is, as we talk through these next four weeks of community, is uh, to think about how that's going to work out in our church. And if you'd be willing to help us, please come and talk to Angie. Angie's going to uh, come up after the sermon and talk to us. Uh, talk to me or to uh, Jonathan, who's leading the service, or Matt, who is leading the music. And we would love to get you uh, connected. So, um, so we're excited to be talking about uh, community over these next four weeks. And this week, we're starting with Acts chapter 2. It's a classic passage on God's vision for what our life together as a church, what, what he hopes for it to be. So we're in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse uh, 42, just a few verses here. This is the word of the Lord. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes... They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, we, we praise you that, uh, Lord, you have saved us not as many individuals, but you have saved us and brought us into your family. Uh, Lord, you know uh, how, how much we love calling you Father, and we thank you that we have here brothers and sisters as well. And 
Lord, we um, pray that you would teach us over these next four weeks, what does it mean to be a community? What is the vision for life together um, that you have for us? And by your Holy Spirit, would, would you give us faith to receive the, the, the love that Jesus offers us, but also the obedience to, to do what your word calls us to? And so uh, we pray that as we, we open our minds and study this passage from Acts 2, that you would take these words and apply them into our life here at Christ Church. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, we are, uh, we're beginning today a series on, on community. And I, recently I was talking to Dan Pritchett, who's a, a member of our church and who works with uh, churches and ministries all over the country, really all over the world. And uh, he had said that, said that he's done many surveys with uh, pastors who continually say that the biggest challenge they have in their churches is creating community. How do you get people together? How do you connect the people that come to the church so that when they become a part of a church, they really feel like, this is my family. People know me. People walk with me. People love me here. I love them. We share life together. He says that's kind of the, the holy grail of, of church ministry. And community is the thing that many people say that's the thing that they want the most, they're longing for the most, but is the most challenging thing to create. And a large part of that is probably because of the individualism in our culture as Americans. Um, we're in an individualistic society, so it makes it even harder. And, well, that's what we're going to be talking about over the next four weeks is that one of the hallmarks of the Christian faith is that our spirituality is not an individual, private spirituality that we do on our own. It is a communal spirituality that we do together. And this passage from Acts that I just read to you is probably the quintessential passage in the whole Bible. It's like if you could summarize in one paragraph what God's vision for our life together would be. I mean, churches. Throughout history, throughout the world, they turn to this passage and say, Lord, would you make us like this? And, um, and it, it's a passage that it's describing the early Christians right after Pentecost when the Holy Spirit had just come upon the church. And it gives us a picture that if everything went right in our church, what, what would our church look like? Well, here it is. And so over the course of this sermon series, we're going to be talking about a number of different angles, components about community. We're going to talk about worship and, and uh, hospitality, about having a common mission as a church, and, and how discipleship, when we're being discipled, we, we experience community. And all of those things show up in this passage, but today we're going to be focusing specifically on worship. And uh, one pastor said to me a long time ago that worship, what we do on Sunday morning here, is the engine for our community. It's the power that gives life to our community. You can see in this passage that that was true for the early Christians. Worship was at the center of their life. Look at verse 46 where it says, and day by day, attending the temple together. And actually more literally, it just says they devoted themselves with one mind to the temple. They were, uh, when you read about this passage and you say, this is what I long, this is the kind of community I long to be a part of, you need to know that this was a worshiping community. That was the center of who they were. They were a people of one mind to worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Which means that the community that you and I long for is not something we can create. It doesn't come from perfect programs. It doesn't come from having really outgoing leaders who can get everyone connected it is something that God creates. It's something that we are brought into, we're invited into, we're welcome, swept into 
by God himself, by worshiping him. And so that's why we're starting our, our first week on community and worship. And so we're going to look at this passage by asking three questions of this passage in, in Acts 2. And this is what the three questions that we're going to be looking at today are. What happens in worship? When we gather here like this on Sunday morning, what is God doing? What is happening here? So first, what happens in worship? Second, when we do that, how does that shape our community? When we're regularly gathering like this in worship, how does that shape our communal life together? And then third, what effect does that kind of community have on the world around us? So what happens here in worship? How does that shape our community? And what effect does that kind of community have on the world around us? And, you know, to understand our life together, this passage is just foundational. So three questions this morning. The first is this. What happens in worship? What's happening here as we gather? And if you're new to Christ Church, uh, you know, maybe you haven't been in a church that has a liturgy the way that we do. You know, we have a call to worship and a confession and we say the Apostles' Creed and, and we have communion every week and um, there's a liturgical order to it. And um, well, the liturgy is a conversation between God and his people. You know, we gather as the people of God. We gather as the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. And Jesus comes and he speaks to his bride and his bride speaks back to him. It's like a conversation back and forth. And what's happening here on Sunday morning is mainly two things. God gives us his grace and we offer to God our whole selves. Those are the two things that are happening here. God gives us his grace and we offer to God our whole selves. And so I want to talk about each of those things. So first, what happens in, in worship is that God is giving us his grace. And one of the most important truths of our community is our hope is that everything that we do is a community. Our, our life, people loving each other, our community is always motivated by grace. That God has loved us first. You know, he is free, he's given free love to us, free forgiveness. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He gives us provision. He gives us all of these things in Jesus, not because we deserve them, but as a gift of grace. Um, the way that 1 John puts it is we love because he first loved us. And some of you will feel like that so many things in your life aren't motivated by God's grace and love. You know, maybe you feel motivated by guilt, you know, or there are people that have expectations on you. It's the fear of man that's constantly motivating you. And you feel like I'm always trying to please other people and I feel guilt or I feel shame or I feel fear that is really driving everything I do. And um, well, the community in this passage you know, they're, they're worshiping, they're studying the Bible, they're having meals together and they're laughing together and they're praising God. And you just say, oh, there's all this grace. How do they have that grace? Well, God has appointed certain means. There are ways that he has said, this is how I'm going to give my grace to you. And you need to know what those means are and receive his grace through those means. And historically, the church has said that there are three means of grace that God uses to give us his grace. And all three of those means are present in this passage. I want to talk about each of them. So the first means of grace is the word of God. And the first thing this passage says about the early church in verse 42 was, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And the apostles' teaching we now have in the New Testament. So these were people who studied the Bible. They loved God's word that came through the apostles. And so the first reason this community was a place of grace is because they were hearing the word of grace that was, God was speaking over them. And that's what happens when we come to this service. Our service has God's word 
from beginning to end. We start with a call to worship. You know, Jonathan read it to us from Psalm 133. It's the Psalms. And then we conf- our confession comes from the, God's word. And the assurance of our pardon comes from God's word. And the, script, the sermon comes from God's word. And then our offering comes from God's word. The prayer comes from God's word. The Lord's Supper is from God's word. The benediction is God's word. It's God is washing us with his word of grace every time we come here on Sunday mornings. And so the first means of grace is we have to have God's word washing us if we're going to be a place of grace. The second means of grace that we see in this passage is is the sacraments. And we talked about the sacrament of baptism. I read the passage just before this talked about baptism and the other there's two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And so we we saw that in the passage right before this. And then in verse 42 it says, "And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread." And you notice there's a definite article on there. It's the breaking of bread. So this isn't what they were just getting together to eat. This is, uh, uh, it is the sacramental receiving of the body of Christ. And I'll tell you, when we say that community is not something that we can create on our own wisdom, our own intelligence, our own likability, that's not what creates community. It's cre- community is something that God does. One of the primary ways he does that is through the Lord's Supper. And, um, and when we all uh, come here and we take this one loaf and we take the body of the Lord and we eat it, Jesus' body becomes a part of our body. It's like your flesh and blood becomes Jesus' body. And when you drink the wine, it's the blood of Christ. In your blood, your blood becomes Jesus' blood. And it's like we're this family that have the same flesh and blood. It's the flesh and blood of Jesus that's in us. And we become a family. And, you know, some of us think that the way you have community is you get together with some buddies and you hang out. It's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. But the Bible says that to have real deep community, we must be mystically transformed by the sacrament. And you say, how does that happen? That we come and we eat the bread and the wine and we're all transformed by that? I don't know how it happens. It's a mystery. It's kind of like, you know, when someone hugs you and it changes you. You say, well, how did it work? How did it work that it changed you? I don't know how it worked. I just know that it works. If I get a lot of hugs over time, it's going to change me. You come to this table over a lot of time, it's going to change you. And many of you have come here and you got used to taking the, the sacrament every week and you realize, I need God's word. That's how I have grace in my life. I need the body and the blood of Christ that he gives me to receive Christ into me. I need that grace. These are God's appointed means of giving his grace to you, and we receive it in worship. But there's a third means of grace. The third way that we receive grace is through prayer. And you see that's mentioned there in verse 42 also. They devoted themselves to the prayers. A community that lives by grace has to be a community that lives by prayer. And why is that? Why do grace and prayer Go together. Well, I've, I've been reading a book uh, uh, on prayer called A Praying Life with Chase Lindsay. He's a, he's a member of our church. We were actually at Woods yesterday, and we had all these quotes that we were talking about, about prayer. And I had to read one of them to you. There were many that would have been good, but I thought this, this captured why prayer and grace go together. Listen to this. Paul Miller's the author. He says, if you are not praying then you are quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you need in life. But if you realize you can't do life on your own, then no matter how busy, no matter how tired you are, you will find the time to pray. 
If we're saying community is not something that time, money, and talent can create, it's only something that God can create, then we're gonna, how are we going to have community? We're going to ask God for it, and he'll give it to us. He's going to grant it to us. That's the only way we're going to have it. And so what's happening in worship is God is pouring his grace on us. That's why we're here, through his word that just surrounds us and throughout the service, through his sacrament as we come, we receive Christ into our person, and through prayer as he answers our prayers. And each one of teaches us that community is not something that we can create on our own. It is a gift of grace. Now, that's only the first half of what happens in worship, though, because on the one hand, God gives us his grace. But the other side of worship is that we respond to God. And that's the second thing, is that we give God our whole selves. In worship, we offer to God our whole selves. And one of the key words in this passage is about a shared life. And uh, you see it there in verse 42 where it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And the word there, fellowship, is the Greek word koinonia. And the, the root word for koinonia actually appears later in that passage in verse 44, where you see it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And the word there for common is koine. It's a shared life. And koinonia, fellowship, is the shared life that we have with God. And one of the, uh, the Bible tells us that God himself has a shared life. We believe in the God who is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God himself is a community and who shares all that is his. So the Father, you know, the universe we live in, it's like, wow, this is this amazing world. There's the rivers and mountains, and there's people and there's stars. And then there's this whole unseen world behind it too where there's angels and spirits and stuff like that. And we say, wow, there's this amazing world. Why did God make it all? It was the gift of the Father to the Son. All things were made for the Son. And then Jesus comes and renews and redeems all things. And what does Jesus do with this beautiful world that he's made? He offers it back to the Father. What you are, what the world is, is the gift of the Father to the Son. It's their shared life of the community. They give it to one another. And when you become a Christian, Jesus shares with you everything that's his. So Jesus is God's beloved son. You become God's beloved child. He's sharing you with his, with his. Jesus has eternal life. You get eternal life. Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. Uh, Jesus is the king who reigns over heaven and earth. And the Bible says that we will reign with him. He shares everything that is his. And so when we're brought into God's life, we begin to be sharing people too. And you know, when we come to worship and we give the offering... And we, you know, we give 10% of our income to God's kingdom. It's not that we're just saying, oh yeah, here's God's portion. He gets 10%. That's not what we're saying. We're saying, this is a token of how my whole life belongs to you, Lord. It's not just the 10%. All my possessions, all my money, all my energy, all my talents, all my time belong to you. It's our way of laying that all before the Lord and say, this is yours. And so it's like God's sharing everything with them, and then he shares with us, and we share back to him, and then we start sharing with each other. And it's our community begins to look like God himself. And you see that the community in this passage began to share their life in incredible ways. Look at verse 44 again. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. 
Now, I know some of you have maybe read passages like this in the book of Acts, and you've wondered, is this kind of like a communist arrangement where the early church didn't, you know, have possessions and everything belonged to the community? Well, we find out later in Acts that there were wealthier people in the congregation that had homes, that churches met in homes. And actually, even in this passage, you notice it says in verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. So clearly, people still had homes and they still had houses. They still had some possessions. The key word here is, as any had need. And there's probably severe uh, poverty in Jerusalem in the first century AD, as there are in many parts of the world today. And what this church was, that they were a family. They were a family to one another. You know, that's what families do. Families share everything that they have. And you know, even some of you have siblings that might live on an, in another part of the country, live far away. Maybe you only talk to them three times a year. But you'll use up your vacation to go visit them because you feel loyalty to them, you, you know? And, or if they lost their job, even though there may be people here that you're closer to, that you love, you spend more time with, you're more intimate, but if your brother or your sister, something happens to them, you're probably gonna be like, hey, we gotta, I'll help them out. The Bible says that we are brothers and sisters, we have those same level of obligation that you would feel to your family members, we feel to this family. It is a shared life. Your burdens are my burdens. My joys are your joys. It is a shared life. And so why is worship so important for community? What is happening in worship is it's here that God gives us his grace through his appointed means, his word, his sacraments, and through prayer. But what's also happening is worship is we are offering our whole selves to God and we become a part of his shared life. Now you might say, wow, this is a mystical kind of understanding of community. And it really is. It's mysterious what's happening when we gather like this. But when you do, when this is a regular part of your life, it, 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 you know it changes you. I mean, if anyone came and did what we're doing right now, Every week for a year, with an open heart, it would change your life. And we've seen that, how by not doing this, how much that fractures our community when we are not meeting like this. We see how this indeed is the engine of our whole life together. This is where it's all coming from, is where we come before the Lord and meet with him. And so this leads to our second question is how does worship then shape our community? We've looked at what's happening in worship, but now we say, how does that worship then shape our communal life together? And there are two answers that I want to give from this passage. The first is that worship shapes our hearts. Worship shapes our hearts. And for us to be the kind of community that God envisions for us, it has to come from within in our, who we are on the inside. And, you know, we all come to Christ, we're selfish, we're judgy, we're petty. We bring all those things, and all those things want to tear apart, you know, our sin wants to tear apart community. And so we need to be transformed if we're going to have a community. We need new hearts. And it's a repeated theme in this passage is the hearts of the people in this early community. You see it there, verse 43, how it says, And awe came upon every soul. You see the emphasis on every soul, every individual had learned the fear of God, had learned reverence for the Lord. And then again in verse 44, it says, 
all who believed were together. The people that were in the community had come to believe. They believed in Jesus. They believed they were sinners. They believed that Jesus had loved them and washed away their sins. They believed that they were going to be with him forever. It was from that inner life of faith that was forming this community. And then maybe the most important description of the heart there in, in the end of verse 46. And they received their food with glad and generous hearts. The hearts of those in this passage are this beautiful combination of joy and reverence. It's an exaltation and a humility. And that means that what has to happen here is a conversion. We have to be transformed. Each soul must come to know the majesty of who God is. And that means that each of us need to ask ourselves, is in our hearts the fear of God? Do we revere him as our creator who we owe our life to? And has the joy of the love of Christ that he loves us and forgives us, has that come into our hearts? That's, that's where the, this only place the community can come from. And again, this tells us that in order to have a rich community, you can't create it by well-run programs. You can't engineer it. If we, you know, administer everything well as pastors, then we can just engineer a community. It doesn't work like that. We will not be a generous, welcoming, and loving community unless our hearts are transformed by God himself. And how does that happen? It happens in worship. When we meet with the Lord Jesus himself as his people. So, how does worship shape our communities? Well, first, it gives us hearts to be, to be, you know, it shapes our hearts. The second answer to that, though, is that worship shapes the weekly rhythm of our life together. It's like our whole life kind of is anchored in this, in the Lord's Day, in gathering together. And you'll notice that uh, the community in this passage was not just on Sundays, right? Verse 46, it says... And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Every day of their lives was shaped by this community. Worship was spilling over. What we're doing here was spilling over into the, all the other days. And it, it defined and gave shape to everything else. And you especially see that there's this rhythm between everyone gathering together. They'd all go to the temple together and they'd gather in a big meeting like this and they'd worship God. And then they'd all scatter into their homes and they'd receive their food with, you know, and break bread together in their homes. That's what we do as a church. We come together on Sundays and then we got home groups and discipleship groups and people meet up in each other's homes. And this summer we're going to have these social gatherings or men's and women's events. We matter. And then we come back together. And when we're scattered out into each other's homes, we're like, you know, I got a neighbor who's kind of lonely. I'm going to rope them in. They could come eat and they meet some people from church or I'm going to invite them to my home group. And, were, and it's a way to connect with people, but it's this flux from gathering together and then scattering, gathering and then scattering. And the passage particularly repeat, repeats that phrase, the breaking of bread. It's there in verse 42. In verse 42, it's talking about what we do here when we come to the Lord's table. But then uh, in verse 46, where they're breaking bread in their homes, at their tables. And you see what happens is that when we come here every week and we realize Jesus brought me to his table and he fed me and I was a sinner and I was an outsider and he welcomed me, it changes how I view my table at my house. That as Jesus brought people into his kingdom here, my table is a place where Jesus is welcoming people into his kingdom. And they eat with me and they, and they, they share in fellowship together. Worship shapes community. 
Now, you might uh, hear all this you know, about what happens in worship, God pouring his grace out at us, and we're offering ourselves back to him so we can share in his life, and that this shapes our hearts, and it shapes the whole rhythm of our week. It spills over into all our weeks. And you might hear all that, and you think, you know, if we're doing all this, we're worshiping together, and then we're meeting each other's homes, and it shapes our, all our time, aren't we going to become kind of insular? You know, we just spend all our time together. And, you know, what about the other people who don't know the Lord, don't know his grace, who need to meet Christ? If we're doing this, isn't, is it going to have any impact on them? We're just going to isolate ourselves from the world around us. Well, that's not what happens in this passage. And that leads to our, our last point, is what is the effect that this kind of community has on the world around us? And you see the answer there in uh, verses 46 and 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You see that that language day to day is repeated. It says day to day they were all meeting together, but also day to day God was bringing people in. There was a rhythm of both their communal life and God bringing people in. The effect, though, is on those on the outside. The people see the community and say, I don't have anything like that. And many of you know people who are just like things that might seem very regular to us, like be in a home group. Oh, yeah, I get together with people, we eat, we talk about God, and we pray together. And it seems like no big deal. They've never done anything like that in their life. they got a community of people that they could be a part of. They've never experienced. They would love to have something like that. And what a surprising ending to this passage because we think, Wow, God's making this amazing community. He's pouring his grace out on us, and we're sharing our life together. And we think that this is all for us. Clearly, that's not how Jesus thinks about this. His goals are not primarily for those on the inside, but for those on the outside. And all of us were once on the outside. Even if you grew up in the church because of your sin, you were by nature a stranger to God, and Jesus has brought us in. And one of the things I love about this passage is you get to the end of it, and who's saving people? Who's the one who's saving people? Because the whole passage is talking about how great this community is. They, they're committed themselves to the apostles' teaching. They're breaking bread. They're praying. They're, you know, sharing all things in common. They're worshiping in the temple. They're eating together in each other's homes. But then at the end, it says it is the Lord who is adding to their number those who are being saved. We're not the ones saving people. Jesus is. And so what that means is you think about when a visitor comes to this church, someone who's an outsider comes in. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're visiting today. They're not just some stranger who wandered in here. They were brought here by Jesus. Maybe you're a visitor and you didn't know that you were brought here by Jesus, that he was the one who brought you here. But imagine if you saw every new person in our community that way. They were like, yeah, Jesus brought me here. That's why I'm here. How differently would you see them and treat them? We would say, wow, you were sent here by the Lord? And you'd say, you'd want, what honor would you show to them? How curious would you be about their life? Say, the Lord sent you here? Tell me about your story. How, what is your life? What, who are you? I want to get to know you. And so this is really why a sermon series on community has to start with worship. Because at the center of our community is Jesus himself. It is in him we have God's grace. 
It's in him we have a shared life. It's in him our hearts are transformed. And it's in him that our individual houses become like the house of God where the outsiders are welcomed in. If you want to have a life of community, it begins with worshiping Jesus. And it's a tremendous joy as we do that to watch as the one who once brought each one of us in adds to our number daily those who are being saved. Lord, may you do this more and more in our midst. We love your heart for the outsider, and may we have that heart for the outsider as well. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, uh, we bless you that you've given us this, um, this passage in Acts that here's a, a picture of your desires for us. And Lord, we're here to say back to you, this is our desire for us as well. It's not, it's not something we do on our own wisdom or strength. It, it only happens because Jesus is present here by his Holy Spirit and Lord, we pray that as we talk about community over these next four weeks, that you would shape us. Um, you would uh, teach us more about your grace and how you've welcomed us in. And with that shape that, that we love because you first loved us, teach us these things. We open our hearts to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.